Hello and welcome to Life in a Backpack, a podcast for the backpackers, minimalists, and nomads out there who carry their lives in a backpack. Today's episode is going to be the first of a two-part episode where we're going to look at the educational alternatives to college and some of the general issues with the antiquated college system that we have right now. So this first part today is going to focus a little bit on the history of college and how we came to be where we are with our current system and some of the reasons why it's not necessarily a system that works great for life today. And then part two is going to actually dig into some of the alternatives to college. We're going to talk about different sort of alternate styles of education that you can pursue. Um, anything from something like a trade to online college to coding boot camps and things like that. So that's going to be largely part two. But so today for part one, I just want to talk about some of the issues with the college system today. Because I think even if you're somebody who has pursued a college education, there's probably a point at which you looked back on your college experience or looked forward to your college experience and thought like, hey, you know, is this like really worth it for everybody? And is this still the good bang for buck that it's advertised to be? Because I think in Western culture in particular, we really look at post-secondary education as a, a relatively like romantic idea, right? Like you get shipped off to college at 18 by your parents, you pick your major, you find your purpose, and you study really hard for four years, and you learn to think and to exercise your mind, and then you graduate and you get a job that is relevant to your choice of major, and that also pays really well and gives you a really good return on your investment. And if you had to take out any loans for college, that's totally okay because you're earning good money now. You have a stable job as a result of your college degree, so you can easily pay back your loans in a few years. And then for the rest of your life, you'll reap the benefits of having that higher earning potential because of your college degree. But you may have noticed that that sort of promise of a college education being the key and and a form of opportunity is something that's kind of been somewhat diminished in recent years as society has kind of evolved and become more digitized and as the online world has expanded. And right now, we're looking at kind of a system that's relatively antiquated and isn't necessarily one that has adapted very well to that new world, but is still one that has a lot of momentum. And the reason why it has a lot of that momentum is because there's a lot of fear on the part of people who are wanting to pursue a post-secondary education of choosing something else and then having it not work out for them, right? I think that there's a huge fear of stigma. So if you're somebody who doesn't necessarily think that college is right for you and you want to pursue something like a trade or you don't even want to go to college, maybe you want to be an entrepreneur or maybe you you, you don't want any sort of post-secondary education, there's that fear of stigma. So because college is drummed up as, as this key to opportunity and something that's so fanciful and great, the opposite side of that coin is that if you don't go to college, you're either too lazy or you're unmotivated or, you know, you're a loser or whatever it might be. And a lot of people who are pursuing alternatives to college education kind of fear that stigma or even like feel pressure from their family to go pursue college because it's considered the really safe route, even though it's not actually necessarily a safe route, right? Like if you're taking on like 
$100,000 in debt just to potentially maybe end up with a degree that may or may not pay more than the job that you could find out right and may or may not be what you're interested in, that's actually like a relatively high risk thing, right? And then there's kind of also this fear of limited earning potential, which is still true to some extent. And definitely like some career paths are off limits to you that are relatively well paying without a college education. And I think a lot of people think like, okay, well, you know, if I don't go to college, then I'm going to be stuck in these like really low wage jobs forever. I'm going to be stuck, you know, flipping burgers, working in retail, things like that. And I don't want to do that. And if I I don't go to college, then I'm going to be stuck there and I'm not going to be able to pursue any of those higher high salary career paths. So there's kind of that fear. And there's a perception and and also a reality of taking a gamble, right? Like if you're looking at an alternative to college, if you're looking for a trade, if you're looking for an online education, there's always that fear that it's not going to work out, that somebody's going to look at your online degree and be like, you know, what the hell is this? I, I don't recognize this at all or give it any sort of weight, right? And for such a big decision, you really, really don't want to make a mistake, right? So a lot of people choose the college route, even if it's not the ideal route for them, just because, you know, it's perceived as the safe route. And, you know, if all else fails, well, at least you've done the thing that everybody else has done. And you have something that like, even if it took you like, you know, 100k worth of debt to get it, at least you then have that base level of recognition, that base level of credibility, and you have that in your back pocket, and that's not something that anybody can take away from you. So definitely there is that risk, and that's a big part of the reason why traditional college education still has as much momentum as it does. And the alternatives is something that we're going to look at in the next episode, and we're going to talk a little bit about the veracity of that fear and of that level of risk and how those different paths can actually pan out. For the purposes of this episode, though, I just want to start off by talking a little bit about kind of the history of the college slash university system that we have right now. So the system that we have in the United States and in Europe originated in Europe and was originally a system that was intended to teach canonical law and theology to its students. So basically, it was originally an education system that was meant to teach a set of legal principles under which the church could be governed and under which the church's authorities, which the students were future members of, uh, could govern. So that was kind of like the the original intent of the system itself. And then there was kind of like a second component to that at the time, which is that because the church was such a powerful institution in Europe at the time, it also became a hub for knowledge, particularly written knowledge. So these universities would not only teach, but they would also store a lot of books and stuff like that, right? And they would, they essentially administered the system at the time for storing written work and for organizing them into libraries, right? So they served this purpose of essentially acting like society's treasure trove of knowledge and and of archives and were very well known for that and were very powerful for that reason. So that was kind of like their secondary purpose at the time, which was also very important. And then kind of flash forward a couple hundred years, the system's going great, and all of a sudden colonization happens, and Europeans start to 
um, explore North and South America. And this system essentially was transplanted to these European colonies at the time because they needed people there who could do stuff, right? Like they needed people fundamentally um, who could provide medical care and who could govern these colonies and things like that. So these universities were brought there to essentially provide on-the-spot education to people who would later become the governors of those regions and so that they were able to provide those essential services. And then flash forward again another couple of hundred years, um, they were in the midst of the Industrial Revolution and colleges became more focused on teaching essentially science and tech so that they could start to focus on research and kind of pushing the boundaries of scientific and technological knowledge, which was rapidly accelerating at the time and which was heavily intertwined into the economic changes that were happening at the time. And then sort of leaping forward again to the United States in particular, in the 1960s, the United States found itself in a Cold War with the Soviet Union, and there was a lot of focus on scientific innovation, particularly like the space race, for example, was a key component of that era. And this is kind of where government student loans came in, because the thinking at the time, which was well-intended, was that, hey, look, we need a lot of people in STEM fields in particular, and we have a lot of people who are capable of doing that in every way except financially. And also, in principle, we think that everybody should be entitled to a college education, and there shouldn't be people who have absolutely no opportunity to go to college solely because of their family background or because of their socioeconomic background. So that's kind of that was kind of the introduction of federal student loans in the United States is they started off being given out for STEM degrees in particular so that A, the United States could reap the benefit of having more STEM graduates and having more technological innovation and so that people who wanted to pursue that STEM education and who were really financially limited still had the opportunity to go to college. So that kind of started that whole program off. And this simultaneously also became the beginning of a big problem that's, that the U.S. in particular, but also other countries are facing right now, which is these like drastically inflated prices, right? So college tuition for like just one year in the United States can go up to $70,000 or even higher than that. And that's just like an insane amount that to, to pay for one year of college education, especially when you're in the 18 to 25 age bracket, which the majority of those students are, and you don't necessarily have a lot of financial assets to begin with unless your parents were well off and generous enough to provide you with those. So the issue is with that system is that when you give out a bunch of loans, you're also increasing the capacity of somebody to pay for pay a higher price for something, right? And college education is something that is seen as almost invaluable, right? It's like water or food. Like there's there's almost no price that's too high to pay for it, right? Because it's seen as the thing that will essentially lead you to success in life. And there are very few other recognized alternatives to it, except some really high risk paths, like for example, like becoming an entrepreneur or something like that, right? And so for like 80 to 90% of people, their perception is that if you go to college, then at least you'll have this like base level of success. And so in the context of student loans, when you're basically willing to pay an unlimited amount for a particular service, 
and when the government is basically willing to give you as much as they as as much as necessary to go pursue that then universities really have no incentive to keep costs down right so the, what happened was that colleges in the United States saw these this federal loans program and figured hey you know um person over here might be paying like a couple thousand dollars right now but i bet if we doubled it they would still go get the loans and they would still pay us. And that kind of became the starting point at which the increase in tuition really started to uh, outpace inflation and tuition prices really started to get out of control because there's almost no cap or at least a very, very high cap to how much colleges can can charge for, for an education because everybody just has these loans accessible to them. And it's considered very normal to go out and take out $10,000, $20,000, $50,000 in student loans in order to pursue an education. And it's perceived as oftentimes a low-risk opportunity and the really the only smart opportunity that even exists, right? So that's kind of where we are in countries with really inflated tuition prices at the moment is they've just kind of seen an opportunity to capitalize on this demand that is very price insensitive and that and this product that people are willing to pay virtually anything for and they've realized that they can push the limits higher and higher and higher and the other thing that kind of happened in terms of policy in the United States was that government funding for universities and colleges really started to dry up. So around the 1980s, there was this whole idea that college is not a public good, but rather something that an individual pursues for themselves. And by that sort of individualistic logic, an individual who wants to pursue a college education and who does that fully optionally should be responsible for footing much of the bill for paying for a college education. So as a result, both like especially at the state level, a lot of funding that was previously allocated to universities and colleges started to be pulled out. And so a lot of the costs that used to be covered by governments actually then started to be pushed onto the student, right? And so that also contributed to this quite drastic increase in in college tuition is that there simply was no government support anymore. So colleges started looking and saying, okay, well, you know, like, what are some other income streams that we could potentially have? And college tuition, again, was a very lucrative one and one where they knew that not a lot of people were going to turn it down because they had this, like, invaluable product that they were selling to them. And so now we're in this position where we have in a lot of places, if you know, if you're one of these people who lives in a country where university education is free, then obviously this doesn't apply to you to the same extent. Wherein you have a college education that you are essentially required to pay tens of thousands of dollars for, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars, and you, a lot of people pay for that in in the form of taking on debt rather than paying for it out of pocket because most people don't go get a job, earn the money, and then go to college. And you also have college education really losing its value, right? So like there's an increasing number of college degrees that actually earn you less money on average than a like like just having a high school education and even more than that that have a negative return on investment. I.e. you 
will earn essentially the same amount or less than you would have otherwise, and you're never going to recoup the amount of money that you invested in getting that college education in the first place, especially once you take into account all of the interest that you're paying on your loans and things like that. And you take into account not just the tuition costs, but also the living costs and things like that that you might not have otherwise incurred, right? So the question there is, when you have a college education that's extremely expensive, but one that's not necessarily as lucrative as it once was, is it still worth it, right? And that's really what this comes down to. And the question that kind of, a lot of people, I think, feel very pressured by and that's kind of floating around their heads. Like, you know, I'm taking out tens of thousands of dollars worth of debt and it's extremely uncomfortable, and I actually don't even really want to go to college, but I feel the need to go to college because everybody's telling me that this is the smart thing to do, and there's kind of this, like, larger discomfort among a lot of people of, like, whether, like, they have this, like, feeling that, you know, maybe this isn't necessarily the right thing for them, and yet everybody is telling them, like, this is the right thing to do, right? Because that was the right thing to do, at some point in time, and that kind of mentality has has persisted to to the current day. And so the natural response you might give to that is, well, okay, you know, it's true that like some college education might not be worth it. And the classic example of that is like a fine arts degree, right? Like somebody, you know, studies like art history or something like that. And then they graduate and they're like, okay, well, what do I do now? And there's this like stereotypical case of them, you know, getting a job as like a museum tour guide and not really earning a lot more than what they would have if they hadn't gone to college. And all of a sudden they're eating ramen noodles and struggling to pay off their debt and so on and you know it's it's just a crappy situation all around right so that's kind of the stereotype and you know the counter argument to that is okay well why don't you just like get a degree that's more lucrative and it's true that that is like a valid counter argument to an extent right like there are some college degrees that definitely have a positive return on investment for example if you go to med school or if you get an engineering degree, and in particular, if you go to a college that doesn't necessarily charge 70k in tuition, but might only charge something like 40k in tuition, you're definitely going to be able to recoup those costs faster, especially, you know, like if you're staying at home and find other ways to keep those costs down. But there's other kind of factors to take into consideration when you're looking at the financial components of college. And one of them is that college loans have like a really high interest rate, right? And because of that high interest, you get into this position where there are people who normally would be able to pay off their loans, right? Like, let's say you have, for example, $50,000 in student debt. That is a lot of money, especially when you're only looking for your first job, but it's not an insurmountable amount of money, right? Like if you go get a job that has like a 50 to 100k paycheck, then in a few good years after you set aside living costs, if you, you know, if you're good at budgeting and things like that, you'll probably be able to pay that off. But even if you have a well-paying job, that might not be guaranteed to happen because they do have like this interest rate that essentially means that even if you're making payments, you might be buying very little into the actual principle of your debt. That is, a lot of the money that you're paying each month towards your college debts are actually just like going to interest payments as opposed to actually going to pay off your loan. And this is kind of where people get into trouble because 
most people at some point in their lives will have this like point of financial vulnerability, right? So you might have a case where one of your parents dies, or you might be out of work for a while because the economy sucks. Or maybe you got a college education that wasn't the most lucrative in terms of jobs afterwards, so it takes you a while to find a job. And having those periods where you're not really able to pay down your debt become fatal for a lot of people and for their quality of life moving forward because these college loans just like multiply so quickly, right? And like the interest on them just like racks up so quickly. And that's how you end up with these cases where people have kind of been paying down their college loans for like 10, 20 years and might've had to take a couple of breaks along the way. And they owe more now than they did at first, right? Because they weren't even able to pay the minimum amount to cover the interest on that loan, right? And I think like people kind of undervalue this from like a quality of life perspective, right? Because if you think about it, like you can't even discharge loans in bankruptcy, right? Like if you're really, really, if you, you know, if life has really gone down the crapper for you. And so that like, there's really no way out of it. And from the moment you're 18, when you take on that first batch of debt for your first year of college, you're kind of committed to this path, right? And you're kind of hoping that everything goes sufficiently well in order to allow you to pay that off. And the quality of life ramifications of that are pretty much the same as any other type of debt, except, you know, you you, you can't discharge it. There's no way to get rid of it, except, you know, maybe you cut your hair, change your name, rip up your passport, and become a stateless pirate, Right those loans are going to follow you throughout your life. And so the aftershocks of that are things like, for example, delaying the purchase of your first house, if that's something you're looking to do, or delaying having kids or potentially not having kids at all. Some people like really don't want to get married until they're out of debt. Some people don't want to marry a partner who is in debt, things like that. So it's not just a matter of like, oh, well, you have these payments and you're stuck with them and you're going to be paying them off for like a really, really long time, right? If you're not able to pay them off, then it has tangible impacts on how the rest of your life is going to go outside of like just a financial perspective. And of course, there are people who don't have too much of an issue paying off their debt, right? Um, A lot of people work part-time during college. A lot of people get really high paying, you know, six-figure salaries, etc. after college. This definitely isn't something that applies to everybody, but certainly something that you know, generally makes you more vulnerable and can impact your quality of life if if it's not something that you're able to get under control or if you happen to be particularly unlucky, right? And this especially applies to people who were financially disadvantaged going in, right? So maybe have come from particularly poor backgrounds. And in that sense, it really does kind of enhance inequality that already like is pre-existing. Or if you're somebody who who drops out of college, right? So the people who t- generally tend to have the most issues with with student debt are not the people who have gotten degrees that are lucrative or even degrees that are less lucrative, but rather who have have sought a degree and then dropped out for whatever reason and now have no college education to fall back on, but still have all these loans to pay off, right? And so you know, that's kind of like the financial aspect of college loans. But I think there's also some kind of like logistical and qualitative aspects apart from financial, which is like what the heavy focus is often on. And the first of this applies heavily to people who are looking to live a nomadic life or who are looking to move. And that is 
the fact that you physically have to be there. So for a lot of things now, we've like trans we've transitioned largely to an online world where there's like at least an online option to do most things, right? So you can shop online, you can bank online, things like that. And a lot of people, especially if you're listening to this podcast, you might live your entire life kind of wandering around and administer most of your life online. But college is like a notable exception to that, right? So you not only have to go to college and spend the four years and lose those four years worth of income because, you know, you're a full-time student, but you actually physically have to go to that college, right? And that not only increases living costs, but it also kind of restricts the type of education that you get and it restricts the other things that you can do in your life, right? So because you have to be like wherever it is that your college is and because you have to show up every morning, it gives you a lot less flexibility to pursue a part-time job on the side or to, you know, like traveling to, you know, be a nomad already when you're still in university to stay at home with your parents, but still attend the school that you want to attend and so on. And then also if you're, you know, the one of the people who was either lucky or unlucky enough to have been in school during COVID, you'll also know that even though some people prefer in-person school, there are definite disadvantages to in-person education. So a lot of times people don't record lectures for no particular reason or, you know, you have to go to campus every morning and there's like a long commute, things like that. Just like all the logistics of physically being somewhere. Whereas an online education is something that's very flexible in terms of time. It's very flexible in terms of course load and also flexible in terms of actually accessing the material, right? So like a lot of these lectures will be online for you to watch whenever you want. You don't necessarily have to adhere to anybody else's schedule. So in that sense, it's worth looking at online education in particular as something that is qualitatively perhaps superior to the traditional in-person system that we're used to. And on top of that, I think the kind of hidden benefit of an online education that you can see in some of the schools that kind of tried the system early on, even before COVID, is that it's a very financially exhaustive system to have to, you know, have lecture halls, things like that, for people to come to campus, to have to like build entire buildings and stuff like that, to have to have a professor teach every class and so on. And a lot of universities that have already pursued online educational options and that have just had one set of really high quality pre-recorded lectures and preset assignments and things like that, they've actually devoted a lot of those monetary resources that were previously devoted to administering in-person lectures and in-person exams and things like that. And they've put them towards things like teaching assistants, right? So that you have these office hours where you can have like one-on-one time with a professor or with a teaching assistant. Or they've put a lot more work into making sure that the material that they teach is of really high quality and to make sure that the lectures are of really high quality and things like that. So there's kind of this like antiquated system that's getting in the way of what is probably a more efficient 
investment in a way, right? Like if you can take all of that money and actually devote it to making the quality of education better, then you're probably going to end up with a system that's more flexible and more accessible to more people than the previous one was. So that's kind of another issue with with the system as it is, is that that kind of like inflexibility of physically having to be there in person really restricts a lot of people financially and practically. And then in that same vein, there's this larger question of educational quality and whether universities are really optimized for that. So there's a few sort of qualitative issues with the actual things that you're being taught. And one is that a lot of universities, especially major research universities, prioritize research and they prioritize their grad students. So if you're going to these universities, even though you're paying buttloads of tuition, you're not necessarily getting somebody who is a teacher by training. You're getting somebody who is a researcher by training. And you're getting somebody who's teaching you who doesn't necessarily, whose career ambition, it was not to be standing there teaching freshmen how to do like, you know, basic calculus and things like that. They are people who are at the university primarily to do research. And because of their research and academic credentials and aren't necessarily the right people to necessarily be teaching a lecture hall full of students. So there's that kind of hybrid system. And that's also interacting with the tenure system wherein professors, even if they are particularly good teachers, because they are valuable in terms of their research credentials, essentially can't get fired. And a lot of universities aren't necessarily willing to invest more money into faculty lecturers who can improve the quality of education, especially at the undergraduate level. There's also an I think this is like a criticism that has been heard quite a bit is whether universities actually teach the right skills. So a lot of people sit there and they're like, okay, well, I'm doing this psych degree and currently I'm taking an elective that has to do with science of storms. And it's really unclear how this is going to benefit me later on. And I'm paying like $2,000 to sit in this course. And there are theoretical kind of underpinnings to that, right? So for example, if you're taking an elective, the idea behind that, which is really nice, is is that you have some breadth in your education and that you know some things outside of just psychology or whatever your major might be. But in practice, it comes at the expense of some more practical skills. And a lot of things, a lot of skills don't even necessarily require an education in college to learn. So a good example of this, for example, is a computer science degree where Yes, you can do a four-year college degree in computer science, but the practical aspects of that that most people are going to need for their careers and that 80% of people would do well with is like you can just go to like a coding boot camp and they'll teach you a lot of those practical skills up front, right? And you know, it's undeniable that like a college boot camp that lasts like six months isn't necessarily going to get you the same depth of education. But it's also not necessarily true that everybody necessarily needs that same depth of education. And for a lot of people, there's a lot of kind of waste energy in a college education in terms of the classes that are being taught and the material that's being taught and the percentage of that material that's actually relevant to what they're going to do later on. And a lot of people find that they, both their CV and their actual knowledge is enhanced a lot more through things like extracurriculars and internships and things like that. And then all of this 
even if educational quality isn't an issue, even if you're not having any sort of financial issues or major financial issues anyway, if you're, you know, in an average to above average financial situation, this all kind of assumes that there aren't any other issues that you're facing, namely being an 18-year-old. So university education is an inherently high-risk endeavor, I'm going to say. And the reason why I say that is because statistically, the majority of people who go into university will change their major. I think the stat that I found is like somewhere between like 52 and 56% of people will change their major at least once. And a lot of people go to college at 18 because they want to access that higher earning potential very early on and it's and it's what they're told to do right it's 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 again considered like this low risk safe option that kind of everybody does and that will get you kind of some like base level of qualification but do you then have the other side of that which is that you need to be 18 and actually have all your ducks in a row and figure out what exactly it is you want to do and what you want to spend those tens of thousands of dollars learning and understandably not everybody at 18 necessarily knows what they want to do which is like not a character flaw in any way it's just the result of being 18 and not having a ton of life experience and understandably wanting to try things out and the current system that we have right now gives you very little liberty both in terms of bureaucracy and in terms of money to figure out what it is that you actually want to do. And the result of that is this huge inefficiency where you have people who have degrees that they don't want but felt you know, compelled to finish because, you know, once you've invested twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars, you don't necessarily want to give up on that and then have this huge burden of loans. And or you don't necessarily want to change your degree and finish it or and start another degree all over again. So logistically, a lot of universities actually like will not change your major or will at least make it very, very difficult for you to do it. And then even if they do, you're still faced with the issue that your previous coursework for your psych degree is probably not going to apply to like an electrical engineering degree, except maybe in, in terms of electives, right? So you do need to go back and start that all over again. And this sort of idea of kind of like exploring the things that you want to do and, and, and stuff like that is kind of a misnomer because if you don't go to college, then how on earth are you going to know whether your college degree is is one that's right for you, right? Like if you think you want to be an electrical engineer, then you can't just sit around and take a gap year and maybe do some traveling and then come back from your trip and be like, oh yes, I definitely know that I want to be an electrical engineer now, right? You do need that hands-on experience of actually learning about electrical engineering and actually, you know, going and pursuing an internship or doing some research and things like that to actually know whether this is a field that you want to pursue. But figuring that out right now is costing you, you know, $40,000 a year or something like that. When in reality, ideally, it shouldn't cost you very much at all to figure out what it is that you want to do and to get some like hands-on experience. And there again, it's 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 kind of this system that that is a lose lose right whereas if you have educational alternatives that are lower risk in terms of the financial burden that you're taking on by just doing some exploration then you have a little bit more freedom right so like for example if you think that you want to be a software engineer and you go do a coding boot camp and that boot camp costs you like $5000 right then 
that's like not, that's not a fatal issue, right? So if you go do the coding bootcamp and then you're like, oh my gosh, I hate coding. I cannot do this. And you really desperately want to get out of that. Then at the very least, you have this qualification that you attain for a reasonable sum of money. And at the very worst, you're $5,000 further into debt, right? Because these are also things that you do online. So you don't have to pay any sort of like fees or, or living costs or anything like that. So that's the kind of thing where you can kind of take a risk and say like, look, you know, maybe this is going to work out, but if not, it's not like the end of the world and I'm not going to be stuck five years later with this piece of paper that I did not want and utterly incapable of then pursuing what I, what you do want, right? So, you know, whereas if you get the degree in electrical engineering and $100,000 worth of college yet later, you have this piece of paper and you despise electrical engineering and have realized like, hey, I want to go be like, you know, a marine biologist. Well, you just can't be a marine biologist at that point because you have so much debt that you need to pay back and people are knocking at the door asking you to start making payments. And you've already invested four or five years into getting this degree and you at one point are probably going to need some income. And yeah, like that door is just kind of shut for you when it doesn't necessarily need to be, right? Whereas if you're taking electrical engineering courses, if you take a semester's worth of courses or even three or four online and you're paying a remotely reasonable amount for your college education, then that's not necessarily a hole you're going to be trapped in. Really, the main thing you're going to be losing is time and a significant but not you know, unrealistically huge sum of money. And then outside of the kind of academic realm of being 18, the current college education system is also kind of known for a lot of issues with mental health and things like that. It's known to be a really stressful environment, especially in at really competitive universities. And or there are a lot of schools where the culture is such that education is not necessarily the focus. And the educational quality really deteriorates. So regardless of which side of side of that coin you end up on, having that kind of environment that is like really, really high pressure and really stressful, oftentimes even more so than your typical kind of high stress, very vertical career that is that is very competitive, is something that's worth considering because if you're putting a huge batch of the 18-year-olds of a particular generation into that environment, and they're all coming out with deteriorated mental health that has societal impacts that are far-reaching on things like, you know, social issues, on things like crime, on these individuals' quality of life, and things like that. And while, you you know, it's a college degree and you can expect some stress, right, and you can expect to, you know, put in a few late nights, just as you would if you were pursuing any other type of education or you're pursuing any other type of career, right? Like, you know, this is this is not a fairy tale in which life is supposed to be completely stress-free. That intensity of pressure is something that's worth reflecting on as well, kind of at a, at a collective sort of societal level, because there are people who are going to be affected by that for years to come much more than they would have been had they pursued a different path, like a different type of education or a career path.
So that's kind of where things stand at the moment. And I hope this is kind of giving you some food for thought leading into the next episode. I've obviously alluded quite heavily to some of the educational alternatives that I plan to cover. Definitely we'll look into some trades and coding boot camps and online university and entrepreneurship and things like that. Uh, just, you know, to kind of map out the different alternatives that do exist if you want a call or if you want an education after high school, but you think that a traditional college isn't necessarily right for you or it's something that's just not accessible to you. So yeah, we'll leave it at that for now and hopefully we see you in part two.